All right, let's dive into this part of our final series. Last week, I made the case of why even do a final series. The first reason I put up on the board last week was God worked in and through this group for almost nine years. We should take the time to thank God for what he's done. I talked about that Old Testament idea of creating an altar, a monument to what God does, and we did that last week. The way we did it was we asked some of these questions just because people wanted to know. They've asked these questions that we thought, well, we should answer them because it helps people to know what God has done. Like, how did Exodus start? How did the idea of allowing an interactive dialogue develop? Why record the talks? What was the reason for podcasting them? And and what series did we cover? We did all of that last week as kind of setting up what God did. Uh, We even went through every single series last week, and I'm just putting up the images. Maybe you can guess just by looking, see if we did a good job in image selection, what series that relates to. Tonight, we're going to go to the second one. The second reason I said we're going to do this series is because I said Exodus kind of left the road most traveled by most groups. We kind of blazed our own path. We should leave some markers behind in case anyone wants to follow, almost like the breadcrumbs. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how we did Exodus. You're going to see some things that even though you've been in the group, you didn't know this is what it took to put Exodus on. But the most important reason I'm doing this is literally to leave markers behind because somebody may want to do this. They might want to know like what we did to do it in our way. They don't have to follow, but at least leaving this information behind is valuable to somebody else who might want to try it. You will remember I ended last week with this quote from Dan Kimball from They Like Jesus But Not the Church. And he was interviewing a lot of young people who were kind of disinterested in church Maybe they were skeptical of church. Some people had left the church. And this is what his research was showing. He said, virtually the first thing every single person I talked to said is that they wish church weren't just a sermon, but a discussion. They uniformly expressed that they do not want to only sit and listen to a preacher giving a lecture. It's not because they don't want to learn. They expressed a strong desire to learn the teachings of Jesus and to learn about the Bible Rather, they feel that they can learn better if they can participate and ask questions. And I talked last week about how that was one of the beginning ideas of why we did what we did. Now we could talk about how. How do we do that? A question we've been asked over and over is, how does interactive teaching work? And I want to explain that so I'm very clear. Because I think that what the interactive forum does is it avoids pump and dump. And that is a way of learning that all of us have learned in school. We take a class, we learn everything for the exam, we take the next class and forget the first class, right? We think of classes as a series of blocks that just sit next to each other. In fact, I'm going to visualize it for you. We take the first class, and the second class, and the third class, and the fourth class, and the fifth class, never to remember the previous ones. Oh, sure, we have some vague recollection of them, but nobody is actually showing us how they all work together. The first thing that I think we did in Exodus had to be important, you might have realized at some point ad nauseum, is we constantly referred to prior series. We wanted you to be aware of all of the blocks, all at one time. We did that in two ways. Every series, whenever we talked about this plugs into this, go listen to this series. That's why they were recorded for you. Because... There were times where we go, we can't go down that path because we've already done it. You need to go and mature by listening for yourself to something we've already done. Maybe you weren't even here, but you need to go deeper. This is where it plugs in. Everything relates to the other thing. This is not just one thing all by itself. And this actually drives me nuts because not only do we teach this way in the universities, as I see it done, 
We teach this way in churches. Every series is brand new. Every series is exciting. And no series refers to a prior series. Every series is a standalone. So we're excited in the moment and self-contained, but nobody shows you all of them together. No wonder we can't mature. The other way we did it was, even within a series, every individual discussion began with, last week, we talked about this. And I would measure, because I have to edit these things at painstaking detail, that we spent at least the first five to ten minutes of every new week talking about the last week. So, yes, I was trying to catch some people up, but more importantly, we were trying to build a link, like a chain, where this isn't just one in a series, they're all the series. And guess what? The series isn't all the series. They're all supposed to fit together nicely in a three-dimensional cube is the way that I imagine it in my head. You know, if we're talking about materialism, the flip side of that somewhere is the discipline of simplicity. Yeah, sure, the discipline of simplicity is in our spiritual disciplines talk. And materialism is somewhere in our stewardship or our money talk. But they're definitely connected. If we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about this thing over here about the power of the Holy Spirit, we are still talking about hearing from God. They're different series, but they're totally connected. And you have to remember that, that you're not holding a series of series. You're actually holding, hopefully, a whole cube of knowledge. And I think that was very important that we do that. So, yeah, again, last week when I said, why did we restart recording them? Because we were building. Every series was building internally, and the series were hopefully building on one another. And we needed some archive to say, hey, I know you weren't here when we talked about hearing from God, but it sounds like your questions relate to that. You need to go back and listen to that series. You need to go live in that series for a while and listen to it. Or when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, somebody's like, well, how do I know what God's will is for my life? It's like, whoop. There's eight talks on that, and this is where it plugs in. You've got to go back and do that. So no pump and dump. That's how you do the interactive method. The second thing you have to do is you have to do your homework. You have to internalize what I call an encyclopedic approach to the topic. Maybe the way that I could speak to your generation would be, you've got to visualize where all the hyperlinks are and prepare them. You ever reading on Wikipedia or somewhere online where it says like something, something is a hyperlink, and you know that if you press that, you're going to that page, and it's going to tell you more about that topic? That's how I visualize our discussions in here. Like I had to come in here not just with what we we're talking about, but with anything that you press the button on and we'd have to go talk about that, we have to have that prepared. Now, there were some things that were out of bounds. We, you would hear me say, that's too far afield. We're not going to go into that topic. Uh, not because we couldn't, but because we'd be here for another three hours because we already did that series. That's where you have to do some work. But if someone comes in and says, well, tell me what that's all about. I want to press on that. Go, okay, this is where it would take you. And I need to be able to know that all the way through. Where we stumped once in a while, yeah, my recommendation is you should be stumped less than 5% of the time because you should have so thoroughly prepared that you would have known the answer. That's the third point. The trick to an interactive discussion is you have to anticipate the objections. You have to anticipate skeptical perspectives. You have to anticipate difficult questions. You even have to anticipate what a faithful posture would look like. And then you build a talk around them. And if they don't come up, you ask the questions that people should have asked had they been paying attention. And if they do pay attention and ask those questions, you anticipate every one of them. We've laughed in here a number of times about the times when somebody has jumped up and down over something and we just pressed the button and it was on the next slide, right? <laughs> yeah, I know some people thought, you did that just to make me look foolish. No. 
no, that was the only way to have a discussion that honored God because I knew the objection was coming or I knew the question was going to be there and we needed to answer it. So that your question wasn't just something to throw us off. It was actually something to move us to the next slide because it was fully anticipated. I also don't want to take credit for this. Yes, it's true. My training is as an attorney. In every conversation, we're playing like conversation chess. I know where I think the conversation is going and I'm trying to be three steps ahead to anticipate. But that's not really what happened most of the times. Most of the times when I was reading the material and putting together PowerPoint, I got to tell you, there were times when I felt the strongest impression from the Lord saying, this is where it's going. There was one time I remember so clearly that we were talking about God being a jealous God. And that song that he is jealous for me just started welling up inside of me. Goofy. I remember just starting to write the lyrics on the screen and I'm looking at it thinking, is this really where we're supposed to go tonight? Because we're talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about God's wrath. I don't think we're talking about John Mark McMillan. And I put it in there anyway. I just thought, well, if not, I'll just skip through it real fast. (laughs) And right as we began to talk about jealousy, I remember the hand went up. I remember who it was. She said, it's just like that song by John Mark McMillan. I was like, you mean this one? That's happened to us so many times, not just because I'm going to say, oh, I'm three steps ahead. No, it's because I really do believe that having lived with a group of people this long, I heard the voice of where this group was. I learned where people were having trouble. I edited your comments at such painstaking slowness at times where I could hear things later I didn't hear in the beginning. Even here live, you would ask something, and later when I was editing, I'd go, oh, that's really what your trouble is. I didn't even catch what the motivation behind that question was until now. Now that I can't see you, now that I'm not live, now that I'm listening very carefully, I could hear it. And most of the time, I really do believe that the Spirit was saying, this is the direction the discussion will go. Be ready. Be ready for that to happen. So here's some things an interactive forum can do. Three tips that I would leave behind. Interactive does not mean that the facilitator asks questions. That's awkward. <laughs> All right? Especially when the answer to every question usually is Jesus. Right? Like, it's just awkward, right? When you... But it's also not where every participant just asks questions and our job is to answer them. That's better, better than the first one, but that's not it either. It's not where I just go, hey, ask anything you want, I'll answer it. Interactive teaching is when you have a dialogue, a two-way discussion that's going on, where what you have to say is so important, it actually moves the discussion to a different level. Where what you have to say is so important, it reminds me of something I studied that I just didn't put in. Because I didn't know that it would be that important until we were here and then you said those words and suddenly the whole direction changed. I understood how important it was. Because we were having a conversation. Yes, there's still a point. Yes, I'm using the comments to get us to the point. Yes, it's not a free-for-all. But without your voice, without your question, without your comment, even without your struggle, we would have been the poorer for it. It's a discussion that recognizes that the Holy Spirit is speaking to everybody in the room. You know, this is true, what I'm about to say. In any setting, the Holy Spirit is speaking to our heart. When we're sitting in church, when we're sitting in Exodus, when you're sitting in a small group, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is speaking. There's only two questions there. Are we listening? And second of all, in most settings, even if you were hearing correctly, could anybody else hear it? An interactive forum allows everyone to hear it. 
if you want to. Yeah, I know some of us self-censored at times. Some of us didn't want to get involved. Some of us just thought things later and then told me the comment afterwards. And it still got worked into its way next week. Sometimes we wrote it down on the card. It didn't come out you know, with a hand raised and a, and a voice. But the real question has always been, I know the Spirit is speaking to us all. The real question was, does anybody want to hear it? Anybody dare to have their nice, neat talk messed up by somebody struggling? Or somebody asking deep questions? Um, and I think the answer should have always been, and was in this group, resoundingly, yes. Yes, I want to hear it. I want to know. Because I've been taught so often by you. And I've been corrected by you. And I've even sometimes tended to just go one direction, and suddenly the comment brought us back to center and balance. And I realized later, that was God. That was the Holy Spirit reminding us uh, not to rely totally on what we've done, even in our own study. How did we select the topics for Exodus? Like, what were the series based on? Like, where'd you come up with, let's do this series next? It's a good question. I think these are the factors. First of all, there was lots of observation, listening, prayer, and difficult discussions. Difficult discussions always got me. When I was having a difficult discussion with somebody, I'd realize you're not unique in this. There's other people struggling with this. We should probably address this. The standard almost was what's troubling young adults, both Christians and non-Christians. If there's something that is troubling us at some level, then maybe that's something we should consider as a topic. I would ask, is this a barrier to faith? Is this a barrier to like a living faith inside of us, almost like thinking like a blocked artery? Is there a way that life would flow if we could just break this down a little bit more and get it out of the way? Uh, and I see so many of those issues, and if you want to know the truth, if you look back at the series we've done, that's probably why we did most of those series. Because there was something that I just felt like, if we could just break that down, if we could just get into that a little bit more, yes, I know it's a little bit heady sometimes, but transformation is said in Scripture to come from the renewing of the mind. And if we could just break that down a little bit and just maybe we could clear that artery and life would begin to flow again and vibrant faith would return. A lot of times we thought in this room that what we were doing was, well, there's stuff that's for our head and there's stuff that's for our heart. And my view very strongly was everything is for your heart. It's just that it was your head, your mind, that was blocking your heart from pumping correctly. And that's why we spent so much time on those things. That's why I selected those things. I did a lot of outside reading to find out, yeah, what's going on? Like, what are people struggling with? And, of course, we took surveys of the group, but those were always non-conclusive. <laughs> we would ask people, what topics do you want to cover? And I'd give five out, and we'd get, like, 20% for every one of the five. It would be, like, dead heat. Like, all right, we'll just do all of them. One question I got on the card was, could a group like Exodus handle a book heavier than Ephesians, which we did in a line-by-line reading, say Romans or Hebrews? I would say the answer is unequivocally yes. When this group hit things like God having chosen people from the beginning before the creation of the world, when we got to the issue of submission, uh, I thought the group was going to come unglued uh, at times. There was so much resistance in this room. I think that a book like Romans or Hebrews would have been a walk in the park comparatively, not theologically, just where the issues were in the group. And I really do believe that we could have done anything, any book, I think we could have done in this group. And truthfully, if we had continued the group for another few years, the book that I would have done next probably was the book of James. Matthew took 45 weeks. Had Matthew not taken that long, we probably would have done another book. But I thought that was a really good way to do it. And I would have done it the same, by the way. We did a lot of topical stuff. I would say that young adults do not do enough line-by-line reading with commentary stuff. I think that was really excellent. It opened our eyes. I would leave that behind as a marker. 
uh, do more books in their entirety, line by line, even if it takes you a long time. Uh, don't skimp. It just drives me nuts how often we skimp in the church thinking nobody wants to do this. Well, that might be true, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it and do it deeply. Somebody asked, how do we select the books we use? Uh, I've been asked this a number of times. Like, how do you select these books? You know, if you opened the hood to look in the engine of Exodus, it would look like this. I've had people over at our house that have asked me questions like, I don't understand this area. Could you give me like some way that I could understand it better? And I would say, yeah, read some books. I mean, the issue is about as old as reading the scriptures. I'm not saying you should supplant the scriptures. I'm just saying that reading might sound old-fashioned. You can do it online, uh, but a lot of times it just takes you actually buying a book, even an e-book, and reading and experiencing an argument from beginning to end in 200, 300, or 400 pages. Like living in a subject for a while. As you know, in Exodus, we didn't stop there. Uh, We actually read multiple books. I calculated that we have bought 180 books for Exodus. If we roughly did 40 series, that means on average for every series there were four and a half books. Now, I know there were some series I remember we only had two or three. And I know there were some series we had as many as ten. Some of our recent series, like just the series on the Holy Spirit, I think we had six uh, on a, on a six-week series like that. What I'm trying to say is that is actually what really was running the engine behind the scenes was a lot of reading. When I say we were reading, it was this. Uh, I don't think you could do Exodus without reading. Uh, I think we'd like to. I think we take a lot of shortcuts, and I think that's why we get such shallow theology being bantered around the church like a game of telephone. And then it just keeps getting changed over and over and over until we can't recognize it. So how do we select those books? The first rule was I wanted to select books from a different group of theological perspectives and sometimes even from non-Christians. When we did our series on the pain and suffering, I wanted to know, like, where is somebody who used to be a Christian, who lost their faith, who's now a prolific writer, where does that person start? And I'm going to start there too and then see if I can build my way back to a place of faith after hearing some of the most difficult and faith-shattering arguments that are out there. I think that's very important. Secondly, I read a lot of book reviews and initial pages. So if I were to give you a practical tip, Amazon has great reviewers. I mean, they're kind of weird. They're kind of like the Yelp people. You know, they just go on and on and on about all these details. But the people on Amazon are actually, some of them are very scholarly. Some of the reviews they write are paragraphs, explaining stuff, giving you the whole chapter outline, comparing other books. I mean, I would actually spend time reading the best reviews and the ones that gave it the worst reviews, and then I would go read the first few pages. Sometimes Amazon gives you the whole first chapter, and I would read it, and by the time I was done, the list just kept growing. Like, yep, we need that one. Oh, we need this one. That's on the other side. So if you're looking in the future, like, where would I get a book, type the subject in, Look at all the books they, they find. And yeah, it might take you an hour or two to go through a lot of books and see who people are recommending. And of course, there were names I recognized. There were names I knew. There were names that were totally strange to me. A shortcut I said last week to somebody who was asking me this question is, read magazines. Christianity Today is an excellent magazine. Leadership Journal, which is for pastors, is an excellent magazine. A new magazine, which used to be from the relevant group. I don't even know if they're still publishing it. Morgan and I used to subscribe, and we haven't seen anything for a while. But new, quarterly, and new magazine was excellent. 
when you read those things, most of the articles are excerpted from different books and different authors, and you say, oh, that's a very interesting subject. I need to read this book. I need to see it. Sometimes they would do book reviews. Sometimes they have book awards. So I would look and see who's consistently getting high ratings in these things. What authors are speaking to me? And after a while, you'd say, yeah, if that person writes a book on that subject, I'm going to read their book. I think I kind of got their voice already, and it will work well for Exodus. And then, of course, there was the midweek panic. And that happened quite a bit. There was the panic in the middle of the week where we realized that, okay, I've picked four books that I thought were going to be enough for this series. I've clearly underestimated that. There's still some questions out there that these books don't answer, and you're asking. So oftentimes, I would start every series having picked three or four books. I'm reading them, and right in the middle, I'd go, uh-oh, and buy a couple more. Uh, sometimes they were useful all the way through. Sometimes I was literally buying the whole book for three chapters because that's where the issue was, and I needed to get that perspective, and I needed to get it in a hurry. What's my background? I mean, let's be real. I, I never went to seminary. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to seminary. I wanted to go to seminary, so I have high respect for that. What I'm saying, though, is that if you don't have that in your life and you didn't go to seminary, one thing you can do, and even if you did go, uh, is read and read a lot and become educated because I think it's possible to do. So if you were going to do this, it would be impossible to do without actually committing to studying all these subjects at a very deep level uh, and studying different perspectives. Yeah, Ben? So my question was, is there anything that specifically you think is critical to running an interactive forum and what parts could you cut out or kind of extra? I think the most critical parts would be probably the amount of time you spend preparing so that you can actually respond not just with a question, but literally use the comment to create a dialogue to keep moving. That is probably the most critical part. And then to have the skill, and it is a skill, to be able to facilitate a discussion to still go towards the place you're going, but allow all the comments to come in uh, within reason. If I were to say to somebody like, Exodus is now so big, we're going to split into two. We're going to go out there and look for somebody and interview them and hire somebody to handle the second Exodus week after week. What would be the things that I would say to that person you must do to run an interactive discussion? I'm not talking about all the things that go into it, like pastoring people and, and all that stuff and administrative skills. Those are all needed in any group. But if you're going to talk about the interactive forum part, it's like you must be somebody who is committed to reading a ton and studying. Uh, doing independent research, by the way, too, which we did. I mean, books were never enough. Like, the books were great, but then I'd be on the Internet doing my own research trying to find out things that weren't in these books. That would be number one. And two, I'd be looking for that skill. And I'd probably even reverse the order. Anybody that you, if they had that skill, we could get them to start reading and learning the material. But that skill is kind of critical. One more question. If someone wanted to start their own interactive forum, how would they do it? Uh, actually, somebody in the group specifically made this comment. If we're going to wind down Exodus... You have to at least explain to us how you studied these topics so that we can do it ourselves. Now, what I'm going to present to you is how Exodus operated as a group. I don't know that it answers the question of how you do it yourself, but you would pick up some of these things. I also want to make the disclaimer now that I use the word we quite a bit tonight, and some of you might think, well, it sounds like it wasn't like a lot of us doing this, but it was. There's a lot of we in Exodus, as you'll see. There were a lot of people working behind the scenes, and most importantly, it was we as a body of Christ with the Holy Spirit driving this, so I use we instead of I a lot, because I think we is important that we remember that none of us uh, really did anything except by the power of God in this way. So if you wanted to do this, how would you do it? 
The first way I thought of demonstrating it is to maybe show you what our schedule looked like. How did Exodus operate behind the scenes? If you were like watching one of those little things they put on the DVD when you watch your favorite movie and they show you how they made the movie, you know? This is kind of that part of a little bit of the behind the scenes of what the schedule was like from my perspective. I'm going to begin with late tonight. You know, I'm going to skip ahead to late tonight and Monday morning, which was always one of the most painful times of the week for me. Because it was in, in immediately in the aftermath of standing in front of you as the firing squad that I felt like I had to evaluate what just happened in there. Late Sunday night, I started beating myself up trying to just recover, like, what just happened? Uh, this would stretch into Monday morning as I woke up and tried to put my attorney costume back on and pretend that I was an attorney. But I would evaluate the discussion, like, what went right? What went wrong? Was there something interesting or surprising or unexpected that came out of the discussion that we weren't really expecting? Is there a place or an issue where the group is stuck? We would get to the places where I could feel the tension in the room, and it was almost like the room was vibrating. You could feel the tension and go like, I'd have to record those and go back and think, what happened there? What was the rough patch we hit? What is the tension? What are people feeling? Even if it wasn't spoken, why was there so many scowling faces when we got to that part? What was happening? Uh, where is the resistance there? And the big question that I had to answer was, do we need additional research? Do we need more resources? Uh, because if we did, we had to get that going soon because the next Sunday was coming at us like, you know, fast. We were just days away from having to do it all over again. Uh, what additional resources did I need to find or purchase? So by Tuesday, we were buying new books all the time. Uh, there was this weird habit I had, like, I just had in my mind, like, if I'm not buying that book by Tuesday from Amazon, like, it's not coming in time, right? Even if we rush it, because we had to kind of figure out what else do we need, and I have to start reading. Most of my weeks in preparation were spent reading and writing in any break that I had. I'd be sitting somewhere for lunch, like if I'm down in Pasadena where I work and I'm working at lunch and I'm by myself, I'm reading and writing stuff down. If it was in the morning, I'd like pull over sometimes, I would just do some stuff and write it down. It was funny because this week I did exactly that, writing this list, and I saw myself writing the list about how I wrote the list, and it got all <laughs> rude, got really like very circular, and yeah, I might disappear, never mind. <laughs> Uh, every other Wednesday morning for many, many years, five years, six years almost now going, Morgan and I would meet. And we would spend time walking around or talking or just kind of planning, praying, critiquing, uh, helping one another grow, even in accountability. Like, where's the group headed? What are we doing? What's the next topic about? If you're going to teach this, what would we use? What are the things that pull us back from the truth that kind of can hold us back? What are the obstacles? What are the opportunities? Uh, Morgan was always very helpful in trying to show pastoral moments. Like, we can't just talk about this topic. How are we going to make it real? How does it actually get translated into something that people can take away? Uh, how does it go deeper so that we're not just talking about it up here or worse, not just in your head? Sometimes we talked about it out here. Like, it was so far away from us. We talked about it in the abstract, but we never brought it into ourselves. And we spent time trying to do that. That's even how the idea of starting Wednesday nights began was we need a place where we can actually be intimate, where we can actually be personal, uh, where we can actually know other people in the group and not let us hide just behind this discussion format. So we would do that. We would prepare, like, what's our stuff for Wednesdays? What's coming up for Sundays? How do we do that? Wednesdays look like this for me. Uh, I was probably the only attorney in the entire city leaving work at 3 o'clock to go to Ralph's every week <laughs> uh, to finish up shopping uh, to do whatever we needed to do to plan for all of you to come over and to start cooking dinner. By 5 o'clock, we were setting up, cleaning the house. By 6, we were cooking. By 7 and 8, you know, like 7 to 8, we were serving food the whole time as people were coming over at all hours, all times, you know. By 8.30, we were getting ready for Randy to come over. <laughs> 
Between 8 and 9.30, we were doing worship and our discussion time. Like, that was one of the greatest things that I feel like our house will miss if our house could talk. It would be that uh, having people worship in our house was a huge part of what I've gotten from Exodus. Uh, I was just talking to Christine. She said, like, I like it when I see the friends. That's what she calls Exodus, like the friends, you know. And she doesn't like the friends leaving, she said on Wednesday. She's like, I like it when the friends come over, and I don't like it when they leave. And it's going to be very hard for us because from the day she was born, we've had Exodus at our house every Wednesday. She's seen people in her life worshiping and, and eating together and living out all the things that she does. And she, maybe in her mind, you're doing it all for her. But <laughs> the important thing is it's going to be difficult for me. Just the silence of not having worship continue will be difficult, especially because I would have loved it to continue all the time for her only, if for no other reason. She's always loved and appreciated that, and it's been such a great model. Uh, on Wednesdays, the last person leaving our house sometime around 10.30, sometimes later. From Thursday through Saturday, I better be reading. Uh, there are some series that we've done where we've read one book a week, just to keep up with the questions and the comments that were going on. There were some times when it was nicer. You know, it was like part of a book or something we were doing, or it was a commentary or something. But there were times when it was just so intense, just trying to find the time in between working and all the other things that I had to do to figure out how do we read. And this becomes very important because I don't think we could have done what we did without actually putting the time behind the scenes. I think it would have fallen apart every Sunday had we not been this serious about putting it. I also say that in addition to continue like to read, I'm beginning to compose. And I use that word intentionally because what's happening is I'm imagining already in my head what the discussion is going to be like, how it's going to begin, who's going to raise their hand first, who's going to object to something. I'm doing that while I'm reading. I'm preparing how it's going to go. I'm thinking in my mind, what is the big point that I would like to make? What is something that nobody's made? What's really interesting here that I can pick up and almost shine like a diamond in the rough that nobody has seen in this material? What is it that's going to be the hook and the experience for us? But you've got to start doing it early because Sunday's coming. By Sunday, this was the schedule to get Exodus done. By the time we were done with church and lunch at 1 o'clock, I had to start. We'd start organizing, putting all the talk together about 1 o'clock on Sundays. The PowerPoint's coming together. The whole discussion is being organized now that I've composed it in my head a number of times. I had to internalize the discussion. I couldn't write it down. I couldn't just you know, have an order to it because the questions could come from anywhere. You just have to internalize the information. By 3.30, I was doing what I used to call the last-minute check for holes. I would actually go through the entire discussion in my head and flip through the PowerPoints and look at all the places that people were going to object, the places that I didn't even buy it, the places I thought weren't yet solid. And then I would panic and do emergency research, you know? At like 4 o'clock, I'm looking on the Internet. I'm going back to a couple books. I'm trying to just grab enough information to go, i got to plug all the holes because I'm coming in to face the firing squad. By 5, 5.30 at the latest, we're loading up the car and coming to APU. By 6 o'clock, we were setting up. By 7 or 7.30, you all were here. The program started. We got done at 9.30, and sometimes I think it was about 11.30 that we rolled in to go home after having conversations, going out to eat, whatever it was that we needed to do. Sunday was pretty much laid aside to do this. And then it began all over again. It began with that stress again of what just happened there. Like, well, that conversation came out of nowhere. I didn't expect that oh no, I actually think I need to buy one more resource. I think I need to know the answer to that question better. The series just took a little bit of a left turn. We've got to reel it back in. That was the weekly schedule. 
Some of you have kindly said to me, like, oh, this is going to be nice when this winds down because you'll have a little bit more time to spend with the family. Uh, there's going to be a gaping hole in my life uh, of about 30 hours that I think is a full-time job that somebody else would have done. But this is what it took to be able to deliver every Sunday for nine years the kind of thing that we wanted to do, which is to make sure, because all of you are mature, and all of you have real struggles, and all of you uh, could stand up here too. And the real issue was, how do we honor that and make it so that it isn't a waste of time? How do we make it so that we're really going somewhere? What did we do with all that content? Maybe you've been in my office and seen this on my screen on the editing table. For every hour of audio that we recorded in Exodus, it took four to five hours to edit it and get it ready for the podcast. The more that you all talked, the longer it took. Don't feel guilty now. You can go ahead and talk if you want. <laughs> there were times when it would take two hours to edit 10 minutes, depending on how active the room was. There were other times when we could just move through it, and it wasn't that difficult to edit. Again, we said last week, because we wanted to make it available first and foremost for you, so that if you missed today, you could go back and make sure that as we built the series that you could be there. I actually am laying that all down because if somebody wants to follow this path, I think people should go into it with their eyes open because I think we owe the best we can for Christ. We tried very hard to do this. There may be better ways. Uh, wish somebody had told me what that was earlier. Exodus could not have operated without a core group of people. Everything from people leading worship, people leading small groups on Wednesdays. We've had a number of people do that. People led service initiatives. People led our giving efforts. The website and podcast that we talked about last week couldn't have been done without Ben and all his work on it. Uh, people setting up and tearing down every single Sunday night. There was a whole group of people working. You know, we defined our core group of people not by who is really on the inside of the group. We defined our core group by who's actually serving. And if you're serving in some way, then you need to be part of this core so that we can serve together. It was the, really the servants of the group, the people who bore the brunt of it. And I have to say that I couldn't have done it without those people because Every single person, and people changed over time and did different things, they just did it. They did it on their own. Week after week after week, there was someone playing worship. Week after week after week, they were just like snacks would appear. People would show up. Anthony was here to help set everything up. Like stuff just happened. Everybody took their job on and took it seriously, and that's an important thing. Maybe one thing I would say for people who want to follow is it would be nice to have more of that support, and it would also be nice, I think, there's one thing I wish we had in this group that I've always wanted it would be one of the most important things if somebody were to try this again is, I would love it if there were people who were in their 50s and 60s sitting in this room with us to act as mentors to help us get through 20s and 30 age group because a lot of people, especially sociologists, say that you're stuck in these age groups. That even though some life markers are taking place, like somebody needs to almost reach in and pull you up. And I would love to have had those people in here. I tried. I tried. We had somebody for a short time was a dear friend of mine who did that in my life for a while, but illness prevented him from doing it any longer. I would love to have more people. We asked. We tried. It didn't happen. That would be one thing I'd leave behind. Like Get some of those people in the group, especially if you're trying this, because aside from all the discussions, it would be great to have people who come alongside us and help us just from a, hey, I've been through life already, and I'd love to see. I see where you're at, and I'd love to give you a hand to get you to the next place. Yes. Um, so I guess my follow-up question would be, like, we know how much time you put into this, and you're a little bit crazy to do it. Um, is this possible to do not as a full-time job? 
I think it could be. So let's take some of those things that I put up, uh, and let's say you were a church that was starting your own Exodus group, but you couldn't get a full-time person. What could you clip from that schedule? Clearly, somebody else could edit audio or not do it at all. I think you would still probably spend five hours to seven hours reading, five hours to seven hours preparing. That wouldn't be a full-time job, but I would say that's where you're getting closer to minimal, and that's still doable. Along the way, in a fantasy world, I would have loved it if some church had stepped forward and said, we got everything covered, right? We're going to cover everything, and even what the volunteer people are doing in this group. Like, we're going to do this, 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 this. All you need to do, literally, just all you need to do is you go read the stuff, you come in and facilitate a discussion. But that level of support, we've just never had. We were kind of like the redheaded stepchild from the beginning. <laughs> but it's in a way that was good. We had great freedom to try this. This is new and unique, and a lot of people didn't understand it. A lot of people didn't know how to support it. A lot of people didn't know how to get behind it. And that would be something I would leave behind as a marker to other people, which we may talk about in future weeks, which is, you know, be prepared to be in a lonely road if you go this route. It's not something that is the most popular thing to do, but I still think it's impactful to build deep, mature Christian. Yes? Did you find that there was an optimal time in terms of weeks for the series for a given topic? Like, if you were to recommend to somebody a generic amount of, like, don't go more than this because it's not as fruitful as this many or this is too short? That's a very good question. We, we wrestled with that so much. I think somewhere between five and six weeks is a good optimal number. But there were some series that couldn't be done in that amount of time. What we found was there were two numbers you have to look at. How long do you want to go each night? How many weeks do you want to go out? So at one point, we were literally risking going to an hour and a half every night just to get through everybody's comments and questions and trying to finish a series in four or five weeks. That was kind of what we were trying to say, like, no more than four or five weeks, people will lose interest. But I started realizing at 45 minutes, people lost interest. Some people earlier. So we thought maybe we try to dial it back and go no more than a certain amount, like not more than an hour if ever possible, and then just maybe add a few weeks if we have to. So there were some that you just go, hey, there's just too many things to cover, and I either can just ditch these things or we are just going to do them. And those two numbers you have to play with. Like if we did it as a half-hour group, it would just never work. And I know most people would love that. I know most people would love to just do half an hour and be out. I would say we would then have to do like, you know, 15-week series to cover the material. That's why most groups will go about half an hour and about four to five weeks. It's just that it never will stick. And it was your questions that took us down this road, right? Like, so, like, I was feeling all guilty and bad and insecure. Oh, man, I'd walk out of here sometimes feeling so insecure and so, like, nobody wants to do this. Why are we doing this? Everybody's face is all scowling and nobody's happy. And I'm thinking, but I didn't ask the questions. Like, I read the book already. I already know the subject, you know? <laughs> Yes. Uh, you mentioned like topics having hyperlinks to other past discussions or stuff we haven't covered. Was there any time where it was like one discussion was linking so many times to like, another topic that you realized like we just can't cover it in this topic. We really need another series. Yeah, one was salvation. We we nibbled around the edges of that series so many times when people wanted to go into it. And I was like, we will be there for, well, we took seven weeks, right? We will be there for so long if we hit that hyperlink. We're going to have to do it as a separate series. We did that with the scriptures. There were a lot of times, even when we were in the book of Matthew, it was like, well, but that's even if the scriptures are reliable. It's like, we're going to have to take that on. Because we kept hitting it from different angles. And suddenly it's like, at some point, 
just going to have to do that series. Another one I think was Suffering and Evil. Where there was just a feeling like we've been nibbling around this for a while. Uh, God's sovereignty kept coming up, right, which related to salvation. Um, one of the things that was great was we did the God's Will series early enough in some ways that that one would have kept coming up every time. I mean, it's just like it comes up for every single person. And we have God's Will's Alzheimer's in a way. Like I talk to people, we walk through the whole thing, and then like a year later, they're like, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life, you know. <laughs> you know? So that series could just go on and on and on and on. Uh, I'm so glad we taped that series because my tongue would get tired repeating some of that stuff. Any other questions? Yeah, Megan. Um, I have like a really hard time envisioning someone being able to do what you've done. And I mean, that's awesome to you, but I think just like a combination of like your training and the knowledge base you have and like your heart towards it, like it's, it's tough to imagine like someone else somewhere being able to do that. And so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like, like do you, as far as kind of what your vision is for the future, like do you have thoughts on, okay, this is what like a little kind of toe in the water approach to an exodus would be, and here's, I mean, we kind of already know what the equivalent is, but where, like, how could, how could we ever kind of come close to this? I think Ben's question is important because there are ways that you can strip away some of the things and take them out of my hands, but what you're talking about is the skill set. One thing you could say is, I believe there are many other attorneys, philosophers, people who've done work in these kinds of disciplines. You know, people have always said, like, you didn't go to seminary. Like, what's your qualification to even address these subjects? Uh, it's always been the same thing. I'm a logician. It's what I do. I work with logic and I work with arguments all day long. But I'm not the only profession that does that. And there's plenty of Christians in this profession, but there are many other professions like it, right, where people just have the ability to read 10 experts, 5 experts, 3 experts, and say, this is actually the right one. Not because I'm a theologian that knows more than you, but I've read all of the arguments. You've made your best case, and I can tell you who is most logically consistent with not only Scripture, but even internally within the argument, who's reaching, who's stretching, whose argument has just been decimated by somebody else. And that's all for the prep work, by the way. I'm not talking about just in here. I'm talking literally just to prep and know how to be able to say, look, I have to recommend the truth to you might be this. And it's come from all this. I think there are people who can do that. I had lunch with the dean of my law school a while back, about a year ago, maybe less. He was asking me, because he's a deeply devout Christian man, he was asking me about what I was doing in ministry, and I told him. And I said to him, I said, you know what's really interesting is the skills that we learn here in school uh, are amazing in the church. I mean, I feel like I came from Krypton, you know? <laughs> and I'm able to do all these strange leaps and abilities that everybody's like amazed by but this is something we learn how to do in school and we train how to do and maybe our mind already worked that way but even if it didn't it becomes that way and he said to me I've noticed that over the years he was almost talking like Jor-El was talking right he was saying like I've noticed that <laughs> over the years that it is a great gift to the church so it was an acknowledgement, like, I'm not unique in that way. There are other people who can do that. Now, I actually believe that people who've gone through seminary have a very similar experience from what I've seen people go through seminary and law school. There's a lot of similarities. So it's not that you couldn't get those skills even if you were in seminary. It's just that a lot of people choose to go a different direction. The second thing that you might be skeptical for that I've been skeptical for is who'd want to do it, right? There is a part of us, and I'll tell you, it's a I've wrestled with my whole time in Exodus, which is, is it worth it? 
I mean, when everybody else wants to do something more fun, more cool, more popular, more big, more successful in every way, like, is it just worth it? Wouldn't everybody like me better if we just talked for 20 minutes? Wouldn't there be more people here? By its limitations, it could never get that big before you split off and had other groups. Even with my skill in training and leading interactive discussion, I don't think we'd get past 100 before it just got so big you couldn't even control the room. So if you're in it for trying to demonstrate to the church like this is what we've done or those things, which is, you know, it's a factor. That's not going to happen. And the last one is when I was saying that the last crucial one is reading. I just think that we just don't want to do it. I remember we had a conversation here about is God inside or outside of time? And it was a little bit of a disturbing conversation. And I realized that night, like, there's a book out there, Five Views on God and Time. And we bought it. It was there by Saturday, and I was reading it. Uh, And that person didn't even come back to hear the answer, which makes it even more frustrating, you know. But that happened all the time. The important thing was that it was left open as something that needed to be done. Is that crazy to chase down everything like that? Probably. Is it obsessive? Maybe a little bit. My question is kind of a follow-up on that. So you came in, and you've, like... In terms of facilitation of the group, would you recommend more or less? Like if a group wanted to do this, but they couldn't find someone to do exactly like everything and maybe split it up between the facilitated, would that be a good option? Or like what would be your advice for that? Well, the, I'll tell you that the more you split it, the harder it becomes to carry the collective knowledge of what you're learning, right? So that was always a challenge that we had even when Morgan and I were trying to share the teaching load, like within a series. Like forget the whole group. Just within a series, like if he comes in to teach weeks three and four of a series we're about to do, is he going to read the books I was reading in one and two? And am I going to read the books he's reading in three and four? Or even if it's just one book, like the ideal way is we both read both books. We both sit down and figure out where we're going. And when we're done, like I know what he knows. Because if in the fifth week I come back to teach after he's taught the third and fourth week and somebody asks a question that's not in his one-hour discussion, When someone presses that hyperlink, how do I know where to go? How do I know to answer his material as well as mine? So it can be done, but I think it actually raises the stakes. I hate to say this, but it almost becomes easier if you have one person who's doing all that stuff. Not easier on them, but easier to maintain the collective knowledge of the group and be able to do that. Now, Morgan was unique. He was able to do that in ways that I don't think many, and there were a couple that tried. I don't think it ever worked. Morgan was able to do it in a way where he listened enough, and Morgan also went back and listened to previous podcasts even before he joined the group. So he would actually cite and say, well, we covered that in this thing, or John one time said this thing, and that is the level you'd have to get to if you're going to be a true team in that way, is to be able to handle each other's material at the same level. That took a little bit of training, I think, from the beginning. I mean, Morgan and I would talk about, like, how, does, how do you handle that? Uh, you learn very fast. First time you're up here, you learn. I mean, the first time you stand here and you see how it goes and you see people's faces simultaneously and you feel the room, it's like, wow, <laughs> that takes a little bit, you know? So is, is much of what we saw for you not necessarily stuff that you just knew, but like the product of your study? Like, this, like I'm assuming there's probably like a really high percentage of like the answers that you would have when people are asking these one things aren't things that you just new because you're so holy and awesome. <laughs> like literally stuff that you had been studying. So it's something that you had like acquired in the process, not just what you already had. Yes. I mean, obviously I believe that I started with a strong faith and there is a skill that I can't explain very well, 
And that is the ability to see the thing that people are struggling with or to see a topic almost like from upside down in a way nobody's ever seen it. That is a rare skill. Uh, it's maybe the skill of observation. I don't know what it is, but it's the ability to just go, ooh, you know what's interesting about that? A lot of humor is based on that. When comedians say something funny, it's always been there, but you've never thought of it. Right? It's kind of that kind of idea. Those are skills that I have. Gifts from God, skills, it all comes from the same place. But in terms of the material itself, yeah, a lot of it was because I was deeply invested in learning. Everything even that I learned, if I go back to the earlier podcast, there's some place where I think my thoughts on that have moved. I mean, if, if you read 180 books and your thoughts didn't move much, <laughs> you weren't reading very carefully. Uh, I've matured and grown, and I'll tell you that in some places, when people ask me a question about an area of theology that I have not studied by reading three or four books, I don't know that I have a very good answer anymore. Not that I think that all Christians should not speak or not answer. I'm just saying personally, if someone says to me, like, what do you think of the rapture? I'd say, you know what? I'd prefer to read that book, Four Views on the Rapture, before I answer because I feel like I have not sat down and studied it at such a deep level and looked at the scriptures all at the same time to come back and just have an opinion. I feel like my opinion is like everybody else's opinion. I've watched Left Behind once, and that's what the answer is, you know? I, I didn't go to seminary. And I'm not even saying that reading was a substitute for it. I'm just saying that's all I had. And having read all of those books, I feel like I learned a lot along the way. And what I was coming in here to do was taking the most interesting things of that knowledge that was being built up using those skills that I think you'd want to look for in that person, especially that gift of like seeing what the real issue is or, or that observation, that is a key. Sorry, Courtney, one last little thing. So was it less so about showing us what the answer per se was, like the truth, you know, like the guy was talking about, and more about presenting the arguments and kind of maybe settling on one, but like tentatively, humbly, sometimes, like, I don't know, is that kind of the the process, I guess, like if your goal was to help make sure that we're not just going to not know why we believe and just kind of break down our faith, was the main strategy, like, let's talk about what's up and let's talk about the different viewpoints and we might not figure it out, but we're going to just... It was to break down the obstacles that were in those arteries into more granular pieces that would actually allow the blood to flow again. It was to demonstrate that there were answers where people thought there weren't. It was actually to get to the truth at times. There were times when we said, no, this is something we need to believe. Like, it's not just one of many options. And there are other places where we're like, hey, look, there is a multiplicity of beliefs on this. You should not lose your faith over any of them because good, well-meaning Christians believe all of them. There were different times at different places. Last week, somebody in this group basically said, I don't know if you know this, but I know I would not be a believer if it was not for this group because having come to the school and seeing everybody believing without thinking... I needed to know that there were people who, even if they didn't agree with me on everything, were thinking every step of the way to their belief. People got different things out of it. Right? There is always going to be people who get different things out of it. People listening to it online will be like, that's the question I've always wanted to know the answer to. Somebody else is just like, I'm just glad that people are wrestling and still believing. So it was not just for one purpose. And remember, when I keep saying the Holy Spirit is in all of us, the model I believe in so strongly is deliberation. In the book of Acts, the church repeatedly deliberated. This is the church right here. So that when we came to consensus on something, when the room settled in a place, I could say, I trust that answer. The Spirit knows every one of our circumstances, every one of our life experiences. And somehow the room is moving in this direction. Yes? So, 
Well, I was going to say it's kind of along those lines. Um, or is it important for someone that's doing this to not try to push an agenda? Because, like, I, w I was talking to someone, like, I don't know, a month ago that sort of does something similar. It's not quite a forum, but it's kind of similar, and he considers himself, like, a thinker and this and that. But he was very much, like, we had a conversation. He said, but... I have studied very hard, and I'm a Calvinist, and I feel very strongly about these things. So even though my church kind of um, diverges from that, I feel like I need to speak the truth. And so, of course, like what I say is kind of from this perspective because I think it's true, and he sort of presents it in that way or brings up those topics, which I mean it's fine. There's different beliefs, right, on all ends, but I feel like especially for certain topics maybe, it's like important to be humble enough not to have an agenda and not assume that you know exactly where you stand, or at least to allow the possibility for other people to kind of, I don't know, come to a decision. Like, it must be scary to maybe believe something really strongly and still present maybe other viewpoints on it and the responsibility behind that. But I kind of feel like for this to work, you can't necessarily want to push an agenda. You can't err on either side. There are some doctrines I will not compromise on. So if somebody were to say, like, I don't believe that Jesus is divine, uh, then we're going to have a lot of conversation. I'm not going to try to force my view on them, but I'm going to make it clear that's clearly outside of orthodoxy in my mind, right? Uh, if you're going to say some of the essentials of our faith, as we would define orthodoxy, we might even dispute what orthodoxy is, but at least we're going to say when it comes to issues that relate to orthodoxy, there are certain views that I'm going to say, I will teach those things. I will allow opposing views and I'll treat them graciously, but I wanted to say, yes, but this is my view on this. That is not the same thing, though, at the other extreme, which a lot of groups could fall into, which is we're just going to talk together, we're going to think together, and we'll all go home having been the better for it. I don't think that honors God's time either. So I don't want to just you know, say this is the truth and I'm going to use the comments to get you to my truth because then I sound like the, the guy who, right? I'm just that guy with interruptions, right? That's the only thing, I'm, that's the only <laughs> difference, right? But at the same time, I don't want it just to be a free-for-all that doesn't mean anything, doesn't get anywhere, doesn't move us forward, doesn't change us and bring us to be more like Christ. Yes, there are places where we disagree in the church, and we have for hundreds of years, and I'm okay leaving it there, having, as I told Megan, broken down the barriers to faith and showing that well-meaning Christians can still get over these issues, but only in those places where I think, you know, the outcome is not that important. Yes? How did you control that ability? So you have you know, your background, your biases, and your own beliefs that, you know, mid well, it's spiritual abuse, honestly, when you are trying to get people to believe your way by manipulating them with even what I present, or not being honest with revealing all the places where there's troubling things. Uh, when you ask questions in a way or you make comments that you know are intended to zing somebody here or zing somebody there, there are times when I made pointed comments to actually try to encourage faith in general about something or made a funny comment to show people the strangeness of a particular view so they might recognize, oh, I have that view. But even there, I had to be careful to say, like, it's a trust that you can't violate. I guess that's the way, best way to say it because I could do that in a lot of ways. I could say, well, I'm the only one that read those books and I could not even present these arguments or I could just tell you all the things that support what I want you to believe. Uh, first of all, the people in this room, way smarter than that. I always have been. Uh, I would say that reading those books did not give me information that nobody knew. It gave me information to address what people were already asking. The question was going to be asked anyway, and I just wasn't going to be able to be as prepared to address it. 
and think with them about it to show that, no, 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 that's not as big of an objection as you think it is, or, or that's not really the way it's laid out in Scripture. It's actually more like this, right? Or, no, 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 in English it appears that way, but actually the language doesn't create the problem that you see. That's what it was really about, okay? All right, I'm going to just close this way. If I were to ask, how did we do what we did? I really couldn't be true without answering it this way. We receive lavishly from the Lord God Almighty. The skills and talents that I was talking about, those are God-given. The time that I invested and others invest in this group, either on the core group or just in helping to teach or helping to lead groups on Wednesdays, that's God-given talent. The money that we use to run this group, that was given by God. And I just want to give this one testimony that I think is really important that you understand. I'm a full-time attorney. Maybe I should rethink that. Maybe I'm a part-time attorney. I'm supposed to work about 40 hours a week. Most full-time attorneys work like 70. I teach law practice management. I tell people how it is that they're supposed to run their law firm. They're supposed to market. They're supposed to pay full attention to their firms. They're not supposed to leave at 3 o'clock to go to Ralph's and buy food. They're supposed to do things that I want to tell you in testimony in the eight or nine years that we've been doing Exodus, I didn't do. I didn't run ads. I didn't market. I didn't seek things. The Lord kept sending our family enough work to sustain us throughout this entire time to be able to do this ministry. If it took us 25 or 30 hours a week to do Exodus, which most weeks that's probably on the low side sometimes, It was only because God just kept raining down manna into our life and allowing us to continue to host people in our house week after week for dinner, for us to have enough to pay the bills, to have clients who somehow all worked out, just the timing of everything fell down to a T. It allowed us to do this. Yes, there were stressful times. Yes, there were times I wish I had more time for Exodus. Sometimes when I spent too much time on Exodus where I was abusing even my own practice, But the Lord's hand sustained this ministry all the way through. Sent us people who had the unique skills to let us do what we did. Includes everybody who's ever served on the core group. So how did we do this? I can give you the behind the scenes of what I saw mechanically with my own eyes and with my own hands. But the truth still remains that God did this. God is the one that sends people to our website. That is the one that sends people from other places to find this and use it for what they can do. We have no control over that. We have no control over what it will do in other people's lives. We just know that constantly the Lord says, my word goes out, it does not return empty. It accomplishes the purposes that I have for it. And that's what this group has been. How do we do this? Because the Lord did it. The Lord is the one who is able to sustain us. I don't want anything I said tonight to sound like I did any of this. So that's why we're spending time winding it down together, and I'm glad you're here to hear about it, preserve it, so that if anybody else wants to follow, they can know how. Let's pray and thank God. Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from you. In our life, this has been an absolute blessing. For however long any one of us has traveled with Exodus, for however long it continues to travel long after we're done with it, we have all worked for you and in your kingdom and with you and labored alongside of you. In the end, Lord, we know that you don't need any of this. You do so much more, but you have entrusted us and blessed us to be partners in ministry with you. 
You bless us with work. You bless us with ministry. You bless us with the gospel. You bless us with a chance to participate in your kingdom. You bless us with the future that we will be with you forever. Lord, thank you that we have gotten to know one another in this life here. Thank you that when we are with you in paradise, we will be together again. Lord, we declare tonight that the way we did this was because you did it. Pray this in your name. Amen.